Father, thank you so much for a gorgeous morning out. Thank you for this day and for bringing us out safely to your house. Help us as we study your word to understand it, to know it. And help us as we look at this great enemy of ours that we may understand what he is and is not. And I pray to give us confidence that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. In Christ's name, amen. Um, I didn't see it, but I was talking to my friend last yesterday. We meet every other week down in Lodi at, uh, at Bob Evans. And uh, he told me that there was a Nightline presentation this week on Satan. Satan or not? I didn't see that. Did anybody see that? You saw that? What was it like? Yeah. A whole menagerie. I heard Deepak was on there, wasn't he? Yeah. I mean, it pretty much falls in line with this here. Okay, our our attendance form is hidden and not to be found, and so are our sheets. Maybe she got raptured and took them with her. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but what you see here is you see this concept here. You see them. Yeah. There are people that worship Satan. Um, you know, they have the first church of Satan out in California. Um, but, you know, generally the world is pretty ambiguous on this. You've got Deepak Chopra, which is one of the supposed mystical gurus of the day. He denies the reality of a personal devil. Um, he doesn't really see Satan as existing. And uh, we should expect that. I mean, one of the things... You've got to understand something about Satan. He's sneaky. He's a deceiver. And the best way to hide what you're doing is to make people think you're not there. Right? It's everywhere. It's everywhere. Um, it started, there's some that started in California. Um, Anton LaVey was known as the, as the high priest of the first church of Satan out in California, but it spread around. There are people that, that worship Satan even as we speak. Um, but Satan's greatest um, weapon is to deny his existence. Um, I like studying World War II stuff. I find it very fascinating. And... Uh, one of the things that the Allies did in, separate, in getting ready for D-Day is they had a whole division of fake tanks and armored weapons and everything on the south of England. Um, there was, they had these inflatable tanks that they had and inflatable um, guns and inflatable artillery pieces and all that. And uh, when you're flying along from the sky, it looks like you've got a whole, a whole big field full of tanks and artillery and everything but all it is is just inflatable balloons and cardboard and plywood. And he did that to fool the enemy into thinking that they had something that they didn't. All right? And Satan is very good at that. Satan is very good at making you think he has something when he doesn't or he doesn't have something when he really does. Um, it's also interesting when I read about the D-Day landing, how, they, how the subterfuge was so great that the Germans were totally caught off guard as to where they were going to land. And the Allies actually landed at the one place they thought they wouldn't. 
they were all ready for them at a different place. And it was due to the, uh, the, the false information that was uh, relayed via the allies in their spy network. And that's what Satan does. Satan is very good at that. So one of the dangers when we talk about spiritual warfare that will begin next week is we've got to be careful we fight the right thing because it's easy to get fighting on the wrong front or to think that there's something going on when there really isn't and to get all worked up over something that's not true. Or the other danger is to ignore the fact that he is busy doing something and we just think it's not him. That's why we got to depend on the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit to help us in this. Um, but it's interesting. I'm going to have to go out and look at that nightline and see if there's a transcript or something and see what was said there. But I just thought it was interesting that the one, you know, the week we start talking about Satan, we have a nightline um, presentation on it. Last week we started looking at his names, and we, and especially in the Bible, you find out a lot about somebody when when you look at their names. Um, one of the great studies is the names of God, where we understand what God is like by looking at his various names. We talked about the devil as a slanderer. What does that mean? He accuses us day and night before God. And probably the greatest example of this, of course, is who? Job. Yeah, right. I mean, does Job serve you for nothing? I mean, look what you've done for him. Then he's an adversary. That's more of an active term where he's actually against us. He's our adversary. And then Ephesians 2.2 says he's the prince of the power of the air. What does that mean? What does it mean he's the prince of the power of the air? These sort of go along together. The prince of the power of the air and the god of this age. He rules the world system. Yeah, the world system. And, that, and, and we talked about that. It's not, and this is where the word faith people have it all filed up. Satan is not the god of this world. If you mean by that, he is sovereign over this planet. Who's sovereign over this planet? God is. Satan is sovereign over nothing. All right? And don't let them say, well, you know, when Adam sinned, what he did is he gave sovereignty of the earth to, to uh, Satan. No, he did not give the sovereignty of the earth to Satan. Did Adam have sovereignty over the earth? No. So he couldn't give away something that wasn't his. What we mean when we say he is the God of this age and the prince of the power of the air is that he is behind the thinking of the world. He is behind what the world system believes in. And what is the world system? It's the values of the world. It's what the, uh, the lost seek after. What do the lost seek after? What, what is their pursuit in life? Money, fame, things, power, significance, all those kinds of things. That's what the world seeks after. Remember, that's what... That's what uh, Christ said in, um, in Matthew 6. He said, all the Gentiles seek after the things, but what are you to do? You're to seek after the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All the Gentiles seek after clothes, wealth, fame, fortune, money, all that stuff. What are we to do? We're to seek after the things of God. Um, but he is, the, he is behind that. So that is why, and we need to understand this as Christians, that is why we are fighting a losing battle against the world. If we somehow think that we're going to overcome the world and win the, the culture war, we're mistaken. We're not going to win that. It doesn't mean we don't want to fight it. You understand that? It doesn't mean we don't want to fight falsity with truth. But it means that ultimately we will not win because the person behind the world system is Satan. He is behind that. He is behind the values of the world and behind the false religion. He is the king of death. What does that mean? 
Right. Death entered the world through sin. Right? Sin. What is death? I mean, bottom line, what is death? Separation, Separation right? And uh, Adam was separated from God the moment that he ate of the fruit. There was a separation there. And the only way back to God is you come on his terms, not your terms. Yeah. Must be a big one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, physical death is the is the manifestation of sin, and it's interesting you brought that up because that's what Paul says in Romans chapter five. He says, "How did you know that there was sin in the world before the law?" Right? Yeah, he did. How do you know that there was sin in the world before the law? Because people died. Death was in the world, right? Read Romans five. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. Even those who did not sin after the similitude of Adam's sin. How did you know there was sin in the world? People died. Sin produces death. Sin produces separation. And if you think about it, you know, it sort of as a, maybe this is an odd way to think about it, but isn't death somewhat, somewhat of a mercy in a sense? Can you imagine the evil that men could be if they didn't die? Yeah, think of Hitler. If, he, if, he, if no one ever died, how evil could he be and never die? It's a limitation. Isn't that basically what God allows? Mm-hmm. After, you know, now man was going to try to be like God. And, yeah. But the Bible says that Satan is the king of death. He, he holds power over people through death, through the fact that they are going to die. And when evil people die, where do they go? Hell. But what has God done through salvation? He's removed the fear of death, has He not? He's removed the sting. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians 15. The sting of death is what? Sin. And the strength of sin is the law. The law that says why well, violated God's holy commandment. We violated His character. That is what sin is. Sin is the violation of a relationship with God. It's violating that. That's what sin is. Yeah. I mean, do you really want to live forever down here in this mess? You know, I mean, I'm not in a hurry to go. All right, understand that. I'm not in a hurry. I'm going to go stand in front of a truck and say it's time to go. But, but the whole point is, do you really want to be down here forever? You know, the older I get, the more it's like I really don't want to be here forever. I mean, do I really want to go work every day for the next hundred years? I don't think so. You know, that's sort of a drudge. You know, um, so yeah, it is a blessing. But he is he is the king of death. The Hebrews two fourteen talks of him that way. He's the prince of this world. Again, what does it mean, prince of this world? Yeah. And remember, this is when Christ was on his way to the cross, right? He says, it's now the time for the prince of the world, 
Who is behind the crucifixion of Christ? Who is behind the feelings and the thoughts of the Pharisees and the religious leaders? Satan was. Satan is the prince behind that. That is why, you know, when we look at the philosophies of the day, the modern philosophies and postmodernism, whatever philosophy is out there, who's behind that? Satan is behind the philosophies of the day. He's behind the world system. He's the head of that. And that is why, as Christians, all right, the world is our enemy, is it not? The world, the flesh, and the devil, those are our enemies. We're not to be friends of the world. That's what James says. If you're a friend of the world, who are you got, who are you, whose enemy are you? God. God's enemy, right? We're not to fall into the thinking like the world. We're not to have the world's values. Put it that way. We're not to have the, the values that the world offers. I mean, you know, I don't know about you, but the more TV I watch, the less I want to watch it. And I'm actually watching a lot less than I used to. There's no draw there, you know. You look at the modern sitcoms, you look at what's on TV, there's just... Hopefully none of you have watched Simpsons in here. And you don't watch Family Guy, and you don't watch, what is it, South Park or whatever that is? How many... How many family Guy, there's another one. I mean, my nephew was surfing through the channels, and he landed there for about five minutes, and I'm sitting there looking at this, I'm thinking, this is what people are watching? In five minutes, there was more blasphemy than I've ever than I've heard anywhere else, and you know they can compress it down to five minutes now. And how many seasons of South? There's like fifteen or sixteen seasons of South Park. I saw in the DVD section at Best Buy. I mean, it's ridiculous. That's the kind of stuff that Satan's behind. We're not to be part of that, folks. When you buy into that, you start thinking like what? You start thinking like that. Now, why do you want to think like that? Why do you want to fill your mind with that kind of stuff? It's better to get rid of the television than to fill your mind with that. And that's what drives you nuts about teenagers or young people. Oh, it's only a show. Or it's only a movie. You know, they don't get it. They keep taking that all in. It's not that effective. Yeah. I like watching a lot of the, you know, the Discovering History channels and things like that. You know, and, and all of it, behind all of it is, is the, just the um, assumed truthfulness of evolution. You know, and it's interesting, there, there, by the way, there's no proof that a comet wiped out the dinosaurs. You know that, right? But yet, but yet that is seen as fact on all these shows. Fact. It's no longer a theory. It's been stated so long that it's now a fact. Right. It is. It's, you say a lie long enough, it becomes the truth. And that's what you see. Evolution is the same way. There's no proof of evolution, but it's been accepted for so long that it's just accepted that that is true. And they, they got intelligent design now because at least they've come to the idea that, look, you know, it's kind of impossible to, you know, for an eye to evolve, not all by itself. You know, an amoeba doesn't decide it wants to see someday and develop an eyeball. Um, they've at least got that far, but still... What Satan has done is he's excluded God from the thinking. And he's succeeded at that. This is just an interesting note. A professor of mine told me once, I've never, I haven't read Charles Darwin's book or anything, but he told me that in Charles Darwin's book, Charles Darwin put, on like the last page or like the last paragraph or whatever, he said, if no animal is ever found to be in a state of evolution, then this theory is totally wrong. Well, I mean, that's my word for what he said, but... 
Well, men want it to be true because if, if evolution is true, what can you get rid of? God. God, you don't need God. Good night. You know, you got the cosmos. <laughs> Sheila. And the flood. They, they died in the flood. And by the way, there were dinosaurs on the ark. All right. Um, they, they, were there on, they were baby dinosaurs, but they were on the ark. There wasn't the big behemoths. You know, there were little ones. You know, they they grow they start out little. All of them start out little, and they get bigger as they go older. You know, yeah. Sort of like elephants, right? They start out little, and they get really big later on. Um, but uh, the the thing is, with Satan is very good at this, and Satan is behind all of this, all of these theories, all of this stuff to exclude God, to exclude morality, to exclude the Creator, to exclude the truthfulness and the veracity of Scripture. Satan is behind all of that. It's and we should expect that. As believers, and we shouldn't buy into thinking like the world. And when we allow ourselves to be entertained by worldly things like that, subtly, subtly, we start thinking like that. You know, garbage in, garbage out, folks. The more junk you put into your life, the more it comes out. And I used the illustration one time of me going out into the out into the country and stepping out of the car and smelling that nice fresh country air, if you know what I mean. And I just say, good night, what is that smell? And the farmer says, what smell? He doesn't know it. He's, he's used to it, right? It, it, it no longer affects him. But, but if you're not used to that, and we get used to it, we get used to thinking like that, and we allow ourselves to just sit there and be entertained by the pictures, and it, it percolates in our brain. And we start having sometimes doubts, and we start thinking like the world. Look, you don't want to think like the world... You need to stay away from the world. The world is your enemy. Satan is behind the world. And one of the best, you know, when we talk about spiritual warfare, I'll tell you, one of the best ways to combat Satan is just avoid the guy. Avoid worldly things. Avoid thinking like that. Avoid the world system. Because he's behind it. He's called Leviathan. What is Leviathan? Leviathan is the name for a large reptile, sea monster. What do sea monsters do, generally? Eat things, right? Devour things. He's a devourer. And in fact, isn't that what Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5.8? Satan is like a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. So what do you do? How do you, how do you deal with that? You've you got to be diligent and be aware, Right? Okay, so if you're out in the middle of the African savanna or whatever, how do you keep yourself from being eaten by a lion? You watch and you listen, right? And what do you do? You avoid. <laughs> All right? You avoid, right? You avoid the lion. Christians today don't avoid the lion. They get eaten and they wonder what's going on. Probably one of the best ways in, you know, to, to help yourself spiritually in your spiritual life is, doggone it, just avoid the lion. Avoid temptation. Avoid sin. Stay away from that stuff. Be diligent. Be aware. Because he's gonna, you know, he will pounce and devour you before you know it. And you're not going to say, well, I'm strong enough to beat up the lion. No, you're not. You're not Samson. You've got to stay away from the lions. And we all have those lions in our life, figuratively speaking, right? We all have those areas of our life that we're weak in. Avoid those. Stay away from them. Turn off the television. Avoid the magazine rack. Don't go to the mall and lust after the dresses. Whatever it is, just 
avoid that stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah. I don't know. When I'm having problems or just bored or distracted or whatever, I still end up having to turn to something of God because I don't have anything else. Yeah. <laughs> uh, true confession, uh, three weeks ago I took seven boxes of videotapes of my aunt. The shows I had recorded, you know, that I used to enjoy watching. And, and I started looking and saying, you know, I mean, they're not bad. I'm not talking about really bad stuff, but it's like, I no longer have any draw for that. I got rid of it. Seven boxes of this stuff. I got rid of some of the, my Star Trek tapes. I mean, I don't know. You're all going to fall over dead. Um, I got, you know, I got rid of a lot of stuff, you know. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Wrath of Khan. Yeah. You're going to have to work on that. Um, but the, uh, we're going to spend all of our time on this. But the, the, we're, the point is, avoid the devil. Avoid Satan. Avoid the lion. And, if you, and you may, depending on your life situation, you may have to do some drastic things. Like get rid of your CDs and get rid of your tapes and get rid of your television. And get rid of your books and change your subscriptions and things like that to avoid this. Um, Lucifer, he's the light bearer. What is that? He was the one closest to God. We talked about that, right? He was the number one angelic being ever created, closest to the presence of God until sin was found in him and was cast out of God's presence. He's called the dragon. What's the idea behind a dragon? What do dragons do? Breathe fire and eat things, right? And destroy things. Satan is seen as a destroyer. He wrecks that which is good. He destroys that which is good. He's seen as, Revelation 20.10, The deceiver, the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet are. By the way, somebody, and we're going to talk about this, somebody says, well, you know, hell, that's not a forever kind of thing. You know, people go there, they suffer a while, and then they're burned up. God would never send somebody to hell forever. Well, what does the Bible say? It's forever and ever. The smoke of their torment ascends up forever and ever. Revelation 14. He's not willing, but when you go, you don't get out. You go yourself. And it's interesting, in Revelation 20.10, the beast and the false prophet are still there a thousand years later when Satan shows up. They did not get annihilated. They're there. So don't let anybody teach... It's called annihilationism. Annihilationism says that you are annihilated. You go out of existence. The lost at some point go out of existence. That's not what the Bible says. It's a forever thing. He's Apollyon, the destroyer. Revelation 9-11 called the destroyer. What's a destroyer do? He wrecks things. He destroys things. Here's one. Beelzebub, the prince of flies. Ever see Lord of the Flies? The movie Lord of the Flies? This is an old name. This was used also in the Old Testament referring to a god that, that uh, pagans used to worship. But Beelzebub, the prince of demons... Beelzebub was known in those days as the name for the prince of the demons, the one who runs the demons. And, and Christ uses him to, to you know, they said, uh, in fact, this is what the Pharisees did. The Pharisees said, you know, Jesus, the way, reason you're able to cast out the demons is because you are Beelzebub, the prince of demons. 
What were they calling Christ? They said, you are Satan. And Christ, what was his response to that? One, it's kind of stupid. I wouldn't fight against myself. But he also said, you can't be forgiven this, not in this age or the age to come. That's the unpardonable sin. To say that the works that Christ did under the power of the Holy Spirit were done by Satan. That was, that was a line that you don't want to cross. And they crossed that. Called Belial. What's that? Vile. Vile, wicked, evil, gross. Children of Belial. It's called the wicked one. This is in the... The wicked one comes along and what does the wicked one do? He sows tares among the wheat, does he not? What is the idea of being wicked? Wicked being irascibly evil, twisted. He's also the tempter. What does it mean by the tempter? He dangles the goodies in front of you and what do you do? You bite, don't you? And, and by the way, Satan, and we're going to talk about this, it's not that Satan is going around trying to get all of us individually to sin, right? He doesn't need to really do that. But, but are there times possibly when we are tempted by demonic forces? Yeah. yeah. It doesn't mean every time we're tempted by demonic forces because James says, what is it that causes us to be tempted? What causes you to be tempted? What's that? The flesh. Because there's something in your flesh that is drawn to something. Now, Satan might dangle that in front of you, or you might be just walking along and it's dangled in front of you, but it's your flesh that causes you to be tempted. Can Satan make you sin? No, he cannot. He can dangle the goody, but he doesn't make you bite. I can dangle a worm in front of the fish, and I don't make the fish bite it, but I know what the fish will do. Well, he'll bite, right? Because it's in his nature to bite. And we'll talk about that. But he is the tempter. He is the one. And, and, and it's interesting, who, do you, who, who did Satan really go after in this respect? Christ, didn't he? Now, it's interesting. Satan did not pass that off to one of his lieutenants, did he? He said, I'm going to, do, I'm going to take this one on myself. This was not something he, 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 he trusted to delegate. And how did Christ respond to Satan? It is written. Now it's interesting, he was the Son of God, right? Did Satan really entertain thoughts that he could defeat Christ? Possibly, yeah. Because Christ was human, right? He was in human form. Alright? And Satan thought, maybe, just maybe, I can pull this thing off. Yeah. And by the way, what kind of temptation? It was the strongest temptation possible, was it not? And Christ did not bend. We already talked about this in Christology. Christ was not able to sin. It's not that Christ was able not to sin. He was not able to sin. He could not sin, which means that the temptation he faced was taken to the ultimate degree. And he did not bend. He could not bend. But how did he fight Satan? Did he just say, you know, Satan, buzz off. Leave me alone, right? He could have done that, could he not? Because he's God, right? But he didn't, did he? He used the Word of God. He was an example to us. So when you're tempted, what's the best way to deal with temptation and sin in your life? The Word of God. Yeah. 
If you have a problem with uh, covetousness, memorize some verses on that. It will help. Pornography, gossip, slander, evil speaking, you name the sin, the vice. Memorize verses having to do with that and it's no fun anymore. You deal with it with the Word of God. He is the tempter. He's the accuser of the brother. And this is what gives heaven great joy when he's finally cast out in Revelation 12. The accuser of our brethren who accused them day and night. You get, and and you, you, it's sort of like heaven breathes a sigh of relief when he's finally cast out. He's an angel of light. What does that mean? He looks good. You ever, you know, you know how, you ever stop and think just how good sin looks? It looks really good. It looks really good, but it's, it's not real. It's not real. It's an illusion. Sin. The, the, the allure of sin is an illusion. I think I told the story. I had a, I was eating lunch with a guy who sells EMC, um, soft, uh, Hard disks. It's it's disk arrays, large disk arrays for computers and and ERP systems. And he had this one account up in Detroit, which was sort of an interesting visit for him, where he went up to Detroit and there had this large account that bought all of this disk storage arrays. And uh, he says really odd because when he went to visit the customer, because he was the sales rep, he says a really a weird place. He you know he's gone down the hall. There's all these doors. He heard moanings and all kinds of stuff. And come to find out, it was a brothel that he was in. And uh, he didn't know that, of course. And uh, he went down there and they had this huge disc array that they had. And it's one of the major clearinghouses for pornography in the United States. And what they use the disc for is to Photoshop and brush up all the pornographic images. So, you know, they would take, you know, a photo shoot or whatever and they'd go in there and they'd airbrush it and make it into something it's not. Now, I say that just to let you know that when... When, you know, people, you know, they pick up these magazines or watch these movies and think they're seeing reality, you're not. You're seeing something that's been airbrushed. You're seeing something that is a facade. You're seeing something that doesn't exist. And Satan is very good at that. That apple or whatever the fruit was that Ava ate looked pretty, pretty good, didn't it? She said it looked, it looked pleasing to the... All right. I'm sure Bathsheba looked pretty good for David too, but what happened there? That's a real mess, isn't it? Here's the point, folks, and we got we got to remind ourselves of this all the time because we forget it as in our fallen state. Sin looks good, but it kills you. It kills you, and it's not real. It is not real. It's good for a season. There's a pleasure of sin for a season, right? But at the end, it's death. And you see that in Proverbs, you know, where Solomon is talking to his son and saying, you know, don't go down the way of the harlot. Why? It looks good. It looks nice. But the, the end of it is her way is the way of death. Down the Sheol. Down to the pit. That's, that's where you're headed. Um, he looks good. He passes himself. And especially, we talk about this in false teaching, right? The Mormons don't say, come to hell with us. They say, come to heaven with us. That's what the Jehovah Witnesses do. Christian scientists, all of those. It looks good. It looks nice. It looks well respected. But the end is death. He is a liar. What does that mean? Father lies. He can't tell the truth. Realize that. 
Now stop and think about it. God cannot tell a lie. Satan cannot tell the truth. So why do you listen to Satan? See, we get deceived, don't we? Right? We listen to him. And, and the, the, again, Satan does not tell, tell the, the whole truth, does he? he? It's always there's a little bit of yeah, but sprinkled in it, isn't it? He's so good at being a liar. And we follow him. We've got to watch that. As, as Christians, we don't need to fall into the snare of the devil by him lying to us. Because we have the truth. We have the Holy Spirit who guides us in the truth. Do we not? He's a murderer. What does that mean? Who's behind the first murder? He said, well, Cain did that. Yeah, but who was behind it? What, is, what did Christ say? He was a murderer from the beginning. He kills. He destroys. He's the enemy of our souls. Matthew thirteen thirty nine. the enemy who comes in and sows tares. And 1 Peter 5, 8, he's a roaring lion, ready to pounce, ready to devour, ready to kill. He's a bad dude. We need to stay away from him. What does he do? What's his activities? What's he up to? Well, he imitates God, right? He imitates God. Um, and, and, and just as an aside, that's why you've got to watch the signs and wonders stuff. Because people say, well, if you see a sign or a wonder or a healing, that's of God. Is it? Not necessarily, right? Moses came in, threw down his rod, it became a snake, and who came in after him? Janus and Jambres. And what did they do? They threw down their rod, and it became a snake. Now, that's pretty good magic, right? Satan is an imitator. Satan is very good at that. So just because you see a sign or a wonder or a miracle or something, don't think that, hey, that's God. That's the Holy Spirit. It may not be. Many times it is not. Because Satan will deceive us. He has a false trinity. How do we know that? Well, Revelation 13.2 and 16.13 talk about that. You have Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet, right? Antichrist. We think anti, anti. We think against, right? You know, the Greek word for anti or anti can be against or instead of. Either one. Either meaning is valid. How does the Antichrist rise to power with Israel? What does he pawn himself off as? The Messiah. He doesn't come in and say, Hi, I'm the Antichrist. I'm going to kill you and deceive you. He passes himself off as the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah, instead of Christ. And what does the false prophet do? He calls down fire from heaven, does he not? He makes the image of the beast to speak great things. That's good magic. And he causes all the earth to do what? To worship the Antichrist and the dragon who is behind him. Look, the Antichrist is going to be able to do miracles that would boggle your mind. But who is he doing them in the power of? Satan. He's going to get the whole world to be deceived and to follow after the Antichrist. Can Satan do miracles and signs and wonders and miraculous things? Of course he can. So you always have to ask yourself, what is the message? What is the message? He has synagogues. The synagogue of Satan. Revelation 2.9. He has synagogues. What's synagogue? Synagogue is a place of worship. Does Satan have places of worship today? Yeah, you pass a whole bunch of them on the way in. Right? 
When you go by the Mormon church, what is that? Synagogue of Satan. When you go by the Kingdom Hall of Jehovah's Witness, what is that? Synagogue of Satan. See, and it's all different messages, but it doesn't matter what the message is as long as it's not true, right? Satan doesn't care what you believe. Just don't believe the truth. Go to any church in the city. Just don't go to open door. Go anywhere. It doesn't matter. He likes people in churches. It makes them look good. You know? I mean, it's better to have a guy with a nice suit on, looking good, loving his family and taking care of them than a drunk in the gutter. I mean, that, you know, it's bad press having a drunk in the gutter. But, you know, respectability, that's a good thing. He doesn't care what you believe. Just don't believe the truth. He has churches all over the place. And preachers who preach his doctrines of demons. He has his doctrines. That's the next thing. Doctrines of what? Demons. Teachings of Satan. What's going to happen in the last time? People are going to teach doctrines of devils. What's a doctrine of the devil? Any doctrine that does not exalt Jesus Christ. Any doctrine that does not lead to godliness. It's easy to pick out false teachers. What kind of people do they produce? That's the message of the pastoral epistles. First and Second Timothy and Titus. Paul is urging his true sons in the faith, you better be sure of the doctrine you're teaching because if you're producing disciples that are not godly, you're teaching them the wrong stuff. If you're teaching your people to be um, covetousness, to want more things, you're not teaching sound doctrine. You look at what people are teaching. and He has his doctrines. He has all kinds of different doctrines. And again, he doesn't care which, which brand you pick. Just don't. Don't believe the Bible. Don't believe God. He has his own little mysteries. And people get hung up in this, looking at all the mysterious things, the witchcraft, the Wicca, the unexplained things. We're, we're fascinated by that kind of stuff. And people are dragged into hell following these mysteries and these odd things. He has a throne, Satan's throne. Talks about one of the letters to the churches. You... You're where Satan's throne is. What's the idea of a throne? What's the picture of a throne? Seat of power, right? He has a seat of power. Um, He has his own worshipers, right? In fact, during the tribulation, what's the whole world going to do? Now, do they know they're worshiping the devil? No. Most don't, in fact. Most don't. You know, they're, they're... we got a guy who's finally brought world peace. You know, look what happened when Obama got elected. And almost people were slobbering all over themselves, thinking, "Wow, you know, we got a great guy in there." Now, pretend—I'm uh, not picking on him—pretend there was somebody like him that went into office and he actually did solve everything. What if he came in and there was peace in the Middle East finally? The the Dow soared to sixteen thousand. He solved the problem of cancer. What would the world do? What do you think is going to happen in the tribulation? The world's going to worship him. He has his worshipers. And, and the thing about Satan is most people who worship Satan really don't know they're worshiping him. But they are. He has his own angels. What does that mean? He has an angelic beings that do his bidding. Now, it's not as organized as what God has, but he certainly has his angels. The devil and his angels and his ministers are ministers of light, it says. Ministers of light. They look good. They do. They look good. I mean, I was, it was interesting. Was it last week or the week before where the Pope showed up? Where did he show up? 
I forget where it was, and people got trampled to death. The crowds rushing in. It was um, Zambia. Was it Zambia or something like that? It was an African nation. Was it Zambia? Yeah. It was, I think it was Zambia. He showed up and 60,000 people wanted to see him and two or three people were trampled to death by the crowds to see this man. I hate to say this, and I know it's not politically correct, but the Pope is a minister of light. It's a different gospel. It's not the same gospel. It's a different one. Yep, they probably would. He has miracles. Second Thessalonians two nine through ten. He deceives the. How does the Antichrist rise to power? He deceives with miracles, with signs, with wonders. And these are the real deal, folks. This is not David Copperfield at work. This is the real stuff. He can do that. He has sacrifices. It talks about people who sacrifice to demons. Now, in the context, this is talking about the Corinthians where they would take their meat down of the pagan temples and offer a sacrifice to their God. And Paul was saying they don't understand this, but they're actually sacrificing not to the gods, but to the demons behind the gods. Sacrifices to demons. He has his own fellowship, the fellowship of unrighteousness. He has his own armies. He imitates God. He, 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 he tries to make people think that he is God. That he's the real deal, but he's not. What else does Satan do? Satan sows tares in Matthew 13. The parable of the tares, right? What does God do? God has a field of wheat. And what's, what's the difference between wheat and a tare? What's the difference? One produces fruit and one doesn't. Now, from the untrained casual observer like me, who doesn't know an alfalfa plant from a corn plant... I would look at it and I would think that they're both the same, right? Look the same. They're green, they have leaves. I wouldn't know the difference. Uh, how do you find out what the difference is? Well, when the harvest time comes, one produces fruit and one does not. What does Satan do? What's the imagery that God puts there? God says he has a field, he has a group of people, and Satan comes along and he sows his individuals within that group. Do you realize that not everybody who sits in the congregation on Sunday morning is a Christian in our church? And sometimes you think they're the real deal. I, I, I'm old enough now. I'm, I'm, I've gotten old enough that I've been able to see them come and go. I remember going to church with people and I thought, you know, they're in... They're, they're in boy, they, they, they're, they're saved. They're, they're, they're the real thing. Only to find out later on, guess what? They're a terror. How do I know they're a terror? Well, now they're in the... Buddhism, now they're out of church, now they deny God, now they're something else. What happened? The time you know, gave them away. Now, this is the point that Christ makes. We don't know who the tares are necessarily, do we? So be careful. Be careful. But there are tares. And that's what Christ is saying. There are the, the true church, and then there are, within the true church, there are false believers, there are false people who are there that look like a... Christian, they sometimes act like a Christian, but they're really not. And who, who sends them in there? Satan does. Why? Because he can destroy the, the effectiveness. It's interesting, uh, all those who, again, I study World War II, I'm sort of fascinated by that. And uh, in the Battle of the Bulge, one of the things that the Nazis did 
is they got some of their own guys to dress up as MPs in MP uniforms and they put them at the roads and they were directing the Allied people to go the wrong way. They looked like an Allied soldier. They acted like an Allied soldier. They could speak perfect English. They didn't have a German accent. And they looked like the real deal. And guess what? They were Germans. And one of the things that confused the Allies is sometimes they come up to a road and the MP would say, go right when they should have been going left. That's what Satan does. He's, he gets his own people in there. and If you're not careful, you don't know who they are. You've got to watch it. He instigates false doctrine. This is his big, big, big activity. And again, the more false doctrine there is out there, the less chances there are for somebody to accidentally stumble on the truth, right? The less chance. And Satan doesn't care what you believe. Just don't believe the truth. Don't, don't get it right. What else does he do? He perverts the Word of God. This, he's really good at this. Twists it, right? Um, he takes it out of context. Half God said you'll surely die. Did God, did God really say that? Eve, do you know that God really just doesn't want you to be like Him? He's jealous. He doesn't want you to have your freedom. Isn't that the kind of thing we're told today? God's a prude. He doesn't want you to have fun. He doesn't want you to enjoy yourself. He doesn't want you to have sexual freedom to do whatever you want to do. I mean, God, God's free, you know. And you have the Metropolitan Church in uh, New York that says, yeah, God, you know, God created you as a homosexual. Enjoy it. That's how He created you. And don't let anybody tell you it's not right. Yeah. God doesn't want you to have fun. God doesn't want you to enjoy yourself. Satan promised you freedom, right? That's what he promised you, freedom. You don't need to listen to what God said. You do your own thing. And that's the root of sin. He takes the word out of context. He did it in Matthew 4, did he not, with Christ? Cast yourself down from the pinnacle of the temple. I mean, didn't, didn't, didn't you yourself say in your word that his angels will bury you up and... Save you lest you dash your foot against a stone? I mean, that would be a great way to start a ministry, right? To sort of like fly off the temple and sort of like zoom around and then softly land. And he took it out of context. That is why, folks, you know, when we talk about doctrine and things like that, it is so important. That's why this class here is so important. To get doctrine right, to get the Word of God right. There are things we can debate on. There are some of those things that are, you know, one way or another way. We can, we can talk about those, but when it comes to the essentials of the faith, when it comes to the truth of the gospel, there is no room for compromise. There is none. Because once you start compromising, it's taken out of context. It's twisted a little bit. And I remember what Peter says in, I think, 1 Peter 3. He says, Even our beloved Apostle Paul, in which he writes some things that are hard to understand, and which the unlearned have twisted to their own destruction. Scripture twisting is very in vogue today. People quote the Bible for all kinds of things. And we need to be students of the Word to know how to interpret it and what it really means so that when that comes along, we can spot it. And we can pick it out. But Satan is very good at Scripture twisting. He does that very well. 
Yea, hath God said. And then he causes it to be misinterpreted. Causes it to be misinterpreted. Um, yeah, the Bible says this, but that's really not what it means. It means this other thing. When it's clearly from the context, it means exactly what it says. Um, you know, just an example of this. All right, and this is not an eternally determinative example, but I think it's an important one. Genesis chapter 1 says the world is created in how many days? Six. What kind of days were they? 24-hour days. You know how many Christians today say that doesn't matter? It could be a geological age. In fact, God probably used evolution and yada, 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 blah, 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 blah. Well, what does the Bible say? Six days. All right? So, you either believe what it says or you twist it, right? To make it mean something else. And you do that probably, uh, you know, with a genuine concern for the text, but still, the text does not let you make that determination. The text says clearly it was 24 hour days. What about the global flood? Was it global or local? Global. Global. And yet, there are people today, Christians, who teach that, no, it was just a local flood. It wasn't a global deluge. That's silly to believe that. Unscientific. Well, what does the Bible say? What does Peter say? God destroyed the earth the first time with what? Water. He's going to destroy the second time with fire. Now, is the time he destroys with fire, is that going to be a local fire? It's misinterpreted. He overstresses one doctrine and ignores the other. This is very good. And we buy into this. I was talking to my friend the other day and I said, I remember walking into a guy here that came to church a long time ago, 20 years ago. He, could, he knew every theory there was to know about prophecy. He could go up one wall and down the other on all the different prophetical views. problem is his entire life was a total wreck. He was divorced. He... He was, he was struggling with sin, and there, but he knew he got prophecy down, but he just ignored everything else. One of the things we need to be very careful of in our own lives is to make sure that we take into consideration all of the doctrine, all the sound doctrine. There are people who want to argue over one little point of doctrine and one thing here and one thing there, and they forget everything else. What's the most important doctrine? Salvation. If you get that wrong, nothing else is right. <laughs> all right? And yet we have people today that they stress their, their entire life is devoted to just one little spin on a, on a doctrinal issue and they ignore everything else. And it's okay to, you know, we have issues that we can debate on. That's okay. But when you ignore all the rest of doctrine for the sake of just one, you're, you're falling into this trap here. Then he tells you to ignore certain other doctrines and just uh, ignore them. That's one of the things that's happened, by the way, in evangelicalism today where it says, you know, this whole salvation, this whole doctrine of salvation, soteriology, that how do you get right with God, you know, that's not such a big deal. You know, there's multiple ways to understand that. And let's not get all excited about that. So you have people writing uh, ECT where it says, you know, Catholics and evangelicals, we're all at the same sheepfold, we're all going to heaven, so let's quit trying to evangelize Catholics. I'm not making that up. Let's not evangelize Catholics anymore because they're going to heaven. Okay, they pray to Mary, they pray to saints, they believe Mary will save them, but they're going to heaven. Are they? Not if they believe in Mary, they're not. Not if it's Christ and. 
we're told, don't, don't worry about that doctrine. Well, there are doctrines that we need to die on. And one of them is the substitutionary atonement of Christ. And if you get that wrong, nothing else, it doesn't matter how else, what else you're right on. It really doesn't. He hinders the works of God's servant. How does he do that? Well, we don't know, but he does, right? Paul, Paul acknowledged that Satan hindered him. He didn't know all the ins and outs and what did Satan do and how did Satan thwart this. Or He didn't know that. He just knew that Satan was out to hinder the spread of the gospel. And when we live for Christ, what should we expect? Opposition, right? In all kinds of different ways. And we don't need to get hung up on the opposition on how what's going on. We just need to let God deal with that and still keep on plugging away and doing what God has called us to do. But Paul certainly acknowledged that Satan hindered him from doing certain things. He resists the prayers of God's servants. When did that happen? Well, remember in Daniel, where he held up Daniel's answer for 21 days? He resists. He blinds men to the truth. He blinds them. Um, this is one of the things that when we talk about the doctrine of salvation we're going to work on a little bit. You understand why people in the world think that you're nuts as a Christian. It's because they're blind. They're blind. They don't see it. They honestly don't see it. Now, where did that blindness come from? Well, it's the blindness of their own heart, but who exacerbates it? Satan does. So, you know, it's one, you know, I, I remember, uh, you know, when I look back at my life, it's easy for me sometimes to become exasperated with people and to say, what's wrong with them? Or why are they so stupid? Why don't they see this? And I have to remind myself, well, they don't see it because they're blind. They're blind. So who has to turn the light on? The Holy Spirit has to turn the light on. You're not going to turn the light on for some people. You realize that, right? You can argue all day long till you're blue in the face and give them all the valid reasons that you're right and they're wrong and you know what? Nothing happens until the Holy Spirit comes along and turns on the light and they see. Once I was blind, now I see. Satan is a blinder. He blinds men to the truth. He, they don't see it. So when you, when you look at Geraldo Rivera and you look at Larry King Live and you look at the talk show... And you listen to the constant drivel from them. Don't be surprised. Don't be shocked. They're blind. They can't see. They're not to be, you know, we're not to be angry with them. We're to pity them, right? Because they're, they're blinded to their truth. And so, whenever we witness to someone, and we, we need to be careful, we want to know the answers. We want to have the arguments. We want to hone our skills. But we need to realize that it's not going to be our persuasiveness and our argumentation that's going to make anybody see the truth. It is the Holy Spirit who has to do that. And if we try to do it on our own, nothing's going to happen. Nothing is going to happen. We've got to let God do what God can only do. And what God can only do is God can turn on the light to help people see the truth. Because Satan is a blinder. He blinds men to the truth. The God of this world has blinded the minds of those who do not believe, lest they should see the glorious light. He blinds them. And so, whenever we witness, whenever we share our faith, we need to also do that with a lot of prayer, saying, Father, open their eyes. Help them to see it. Shatter the darkness that is theirs. I'm, I'm praying for my, uh, my Mormon neighbors. 
you know, I witnessed to them. Stevie, who's, uh, well, he's no longer little Stevie. He's 21 years old, big Stevie. Went off on his mission to Switzerland. He'd have to do a two-year missionary program in the Mormon church. And I witnessed to him. And, you know, at the end, I told him, I said, Steve, you know, there's nothing I'm going to say that's going to make one bit of difference to you. I can have all the arguments in the world to show you the error of, Jeho- of Mormonism. Nothing's going to happen. I'm going to pray that God would shatter your blindness. God would shatter the darkness. And that's what I'm praying. That God would shatter his darkness because, you know, I can give them all of the right answers and nothing's going to make a difference because they're blind. God's got to turn the light on. And if he doesn't, nothing, nothing I say will make a difference. And, and that's... And, and, and that it's good in a way, right? Because that means that it's not my fault if he doesn't believe, right? I mean, if it's up to me and he didn't believe, it would be my fault, right? I just needed to argue better. I needed to have a better answer. I needed to do something better. I don't. God has to do that because Satan has blinded men's hearts to the truth lest they should see it. He steals the word of God from human hearts, which is the parable of the soils, Right? The sower comes along and he sows the seed and what does Satan do? He comes along and snatches it away. He gets people distracted from the truth. And I think a lot of times that's where our entertainment comes from. You know, I think the, the, almost the entire entertainment industry is geared to keeping men and keeping people from thinking what is really important. You know, 200 years ago you had time to think. Who has time to think now? You know, I go, to, I go to work and i got this stupid radio going. I have to turn the thing off. Because that's time to think, right? It's downtime. I don't have to listen to the latest news. I don't have to listen to what's going on in Washington. Who cares? We need time to think. And our entertainment has destroyed our ability to think. We come home from work and we sit down in front of the TV and, you know, for four hours. Nobody thinks. Nobody talks anymore. You have to send email to somebody in your own house because they're on the computer. <laughs> I mean, we get, we get distracted and Satan is very good at that. And, and what is he doing? He's stealing away the truth. He, he gets you to be focused on all the little baubles of life that you never stop and think about what's really important. He accuses believers before the throne of God day and night. Constantly. Job, Zechariah, Hebrews. Constantly accusing the brethren. He lays snares for men. What is, it? what is a snare? It's a trap, right? He entraps people into things. The snare of the devil is pride. He tempts men to sin. Now, that does not mean he tempts all of us all of the time, but he is the great tempter, is he not? He knows how to dangle the right things in front of people. Antichrist. Why does Antichrist do what Antichrist does? Because... Antichrist is evil and he pursues that which he wants. And what does Satan do? He uses that, that ambition to fulfill his ends, does he not? Does Satan, does Satan make people sin? No, but he dangles those things in front of them to lead them down a path. He afflicts the believers. What did he do to Job? I mean, good night. Major affliction. All right? And here's the good thing. When can Satan afflict you? Just down here, right? You get to heaven, you're beyond his reach. That's wonderful, right? I'm sort of glad that I don't have to spend eternity fighting Satan. 
I don't have to do that. That's right. And God sets limits. You ever, you ever thank God for the limits that He sets on Satan in your life? I don't think we stop and think about that sometimes. That were it not for God's protective command, we would be smashed like bugs, all of us in here. God protects us in ways that we never under... We don't even see until we get to heaven, I think. And sometimes I find myself thanking God that He doesn't allow Satan to have his way with me. And that's part of the disciples' prayer, right? Deliver us from the evil one. Don't let us fall into temptation. That's the prayer. Don't let, and I, I find myself praying that to God. Don't give me a situation where I can't handle it. Keep me away from being tempted. And by the way, I have to take part in that, right? So I've got to watch what I watch, watch what I read, watch where I go. But there's something about keeping me from evil. I don't want to get near it. He deceives. We talked about this. He undermines the home. Satan likes to destroy families. Why? Because it makes God look bad. Right? Makes him look bad. And Satan will do anything he can to make God look bad. However, Satan does have limitations. Why, why does Satan have limitations? Big reason. He's created, right? He's not God. You see, that, that, there is no such thing as an eternal good, eternal evil, you know, battling one another like in a lot of philosophical systems. Evil had a beginning with Satan. And God is the only one that is sovereign. God is the only being outside the boundaries of creation. Satan is within that. Satan is a created being. He is not omnipresent. He is not everywhere at once. How do you know that? Well, he said, where, God asked him, where are you at? He said, well, I'm going to and fro and up and down. He's, he's, he's moving around. Now, he can go places pretty fast and he has a network of Demons that keep him informed, but he is not everywhere at the same time. He is certainly not omniscient. What do you mean by omniscient? He doesn't know everything. Now, he knows a lot, right? But he doesn't know everything. By the way, there's no indication in the Bible that Satan can read your mind like ESP. That's sort of a comforting thought. He can't read my mind. But he knows how I respond, doesn't he? He's pretty good at that. He can, he can talk by the way you're responding, what you're thinking. Yeah, you you know what you know what that kid's thinking. He's you know by what he's doing, you know what he's up to. You can't read his mind, but you know what's going around in there. He's not omnipotent. He's powerful, but he's not all powerful. God is all powerful. He is not sovereign. That's a wonderful thing. How many sovereign beings in the universe? One. He is not sovereign. He is not self-existent. What does that mean by that? He had a creation. And by, by virtue of him being created, he is not outside the boundaries of creation. He is not sovereign. He is not God. He can never win. He can't, he can't win. There, you don't need to worry about, maybe Satan is just going to upset the whole apple cart and Revelation is going to wind up differently than our Bible say it is. No. He cannot win. He cannot win. What is his destiny? Where is where's Satan going to wind up? Well, temporarily, he's going to be in the abyss. Temporarily. Where do you get that? Revelation chapter 20. It says that he is going to be bound and put into the abyss for how long? A thousand years. Now there are some people that 
say, well, you know, there is no such thing as a future millennium. Don't listen to that. What does Revelation 20 say very clearly? A thousand years. And how many times does it repeat? I think it repeats it seven times. A thousand years, thousand years, thousand years. So if God repeats something seven times, how are you to understand that? A thousand years, okay. So what is the millennium going to be? It's going to be a time of peace. Who's going to be ruling? Christ. We're going to reign with Him. Eden is going to be restored. There's going to be peace on the planet. There's going to be prosperity. It's going to be a wonderful time to be alive. And Satan is going to be bound, but even though Satan is bound, what still exists in the world? Why? We're sinners. Now, we are not part of that, but people born during that time will be sinners. And at the end of that time, what is Satan going to do? Deceive. Deceive. Think of the deception. Think of his ability to deceive. A thousand years of peace, prosperity, no issues, no problems, and he's going to come out and millions and billions of people are going to follow him. And then where is he going to wind up eternally? Well, the Bible says he's going to be in the lake of fire. That, by the way, is what God created it for. Matthew chapter 25, 41, Depart from me, you curse into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. God prepared it for Satan and his angels. In Revelation 20, 10, it says, The devil that deceived them was cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. Cast alive. He is the third occupant of this eternal state. The first two occupants are the Antichrist and the false prophet. The, second, the third occupant is going to be Satan. Then who's going to follow after the great white throne? Death and hell. Be cast into the lake of fire. And that's the end. Is God going to do something about evil? Sure He is. Is Satan going to ultimately lose? Yes, he will. It's going to be on God's time. Satan is our great adversary, but he's not going to win. He's not going to ultimately pull it off. It's a euphemism for those that have died outside of salvation. Death and hell. Yeah. And that is Satanology. So next week we're going to start spiritual warfare. Now, um, we're not meeting April, Easter Sunday, 12, and there's another one we're not meeting at the end of April for our missions conference. All right, so we're going to have, we're going to meet next week, we're going to miss a week, meet a week, I think miss a week, and then meet a week. I think that's the way it works out, so keep an eye on the bulletin, um, but we'll get through that, and then we're going to start the doctrine of man and sin. All right, so let's, uh, any questions or comments or anything so far? I got done just in time. It's a wonderful thing. So let's uh, close in prayer. Father, thanks so much for this day, for teaching us. Father, we thank you for protecting us from the evil one. We don't know what would happen if, if Satan was allowed full reign. We thank you for preventing him from doing what he would like to do. And we thank you, Father, you're in charge. He is not. You're the one in control of all things. Satan is not. We thank you that he will not win. And we thank You, Father, that You've given us light and understanding and we are on the winning side. And we do look forward to that day, Father, and we can stand in Your presence and enjoy Your company without sin. And I pray that in the meantime we would be wise and that we would be vigilant 
we would understand what, what Satan is up to and, and avoid those sins that beset us, that we'd be men and women of God and a light in this world. In Christ's name, amen.